everyone, this is Scott Geider, the character of Cephas from the hit series Hillbilly Horror Show. To celebrate this new year, we are giving away exclusive Hillbilly Horror Show posters signed with a personal message from Scream Queen Lynn Lowry. That's right, Lynn Lowry. Head over to Hillbilly Horror Show Facebook page for all the details, and don't forget to catch Lynn Lowry in Hillbilly Horror Show Volume 3. Also, go to www.hillbillyhorrorshow.com. Hello everyone, this is Scott Geider, the character Cephas from the hit franchise series, The Hillbilly Horror Show. You can now experience all the greatness from all the Hillbilly Horror Show. And all you need is a library card. And then you can go to Hoopla and watch them all for free. That's right, free. We love the word free. So, go ahead. For more details, go to the Hillbilly Horror Show Facebook page or... Go to www.hillbillyhorrorshow.com. That's right, Lulu, Bo, and myself, Cephas, the mumbling idiot. Again, go to www.hillbillyhorrorshow.com for more details or to the Facebook page. Hello, everyone. This is Gruesome Herzog. My second guest of 2016 is a talented filmmaker, Sean Anthony. After the interview... Go to www.harvestmoonmotionpictures.com and check out for more information. Thank you. And my very special guest today is director Sean Anthony. He's an upcoming uh, talented filmmaker that I'm looking forward to talk to. So let's do it. Sean, how how are you? I'm doing great, Scott. How are you, man? Wonderful. I just want to give you a thanks for the links that you sent me, uh, Soulmate and etc. in your new horror show that I've not had a chance to check it out yet with my schedule. But I figured, fuck it, let's uh, have you come on here. And then uh, if I have any more input on the movies that I see, I'll add it to the interview myself. So we'll go that way, okay? Sounds good, man. Sounds good. Thank you. No problem. The first film that I want to talk about uh, that you sent me a link for, which I'm really interested in seeing it's called soulmate true evil never dies in 2012 the tagline is very interesting to me as it says on the movie true evil never dies so are you saying that fake fake evil doesn't die well it's like anything else you know everything comes (laughs) to light right so if something is true evil it's going to pass through generation to generation to generation whereas something that's not so evil isn't going to go passing through it's just going to die down and burn out much like old legends sometimes burn out and so on and so forth so the whole idea of the concept behind that true evil never dies is there are things that are evil and then there are things that are truly evil something that's truly evil will fight its Mm -hmm. way through hell in order to get out and continue to do its work and that's basically what soulmate's all about It, it deals with jack the ripper who obviously uh has been dead for quite some time and comes back and starts his killing spree again. And that's fantastic. That's really what it's about, yeah. Yeah, well, see, I was being a sarcastic smartass and you re- you shut me down. That's, that's good. You're well, clever. Well, you know, you got to be, right? <laughs> if, if you've got a good idea what your film's about, it doesn't matter what somebody says. <laughs> well, the, the, your casting is, is the talented Jessica Felice. She plays Katie Stevens. You have Daniel Ross as Jack. Michael Allen is Dr. James Maybrick. John C. Bailey. Oh, boy, the cast goes on. Julie Chapin, I remember that name, Dr. Pizer. Now, did you not use, if I'm confused and I'm in wrong, but the last name of the characters in this film, are they based on characters, based on names that was involved in Jack the Ripper every, in the past? Every character's name has something to do with Jack the Ripper's case, whether it was a witness, um, if it was an investigator, if it was somebody that was under suspicion, they're all involved uh, in that way. So, yeah, I used all that. I did a lot of research on this film uh, when I first started writing it to make it as accurate as possible. And 
for those people who are Jack the Ripper historians, they'll understand the context of each character as they're watching it. And if you're not a Jack the Ripper historian, it's okay. You'll still enjoy the film. But I like to go deeper with my films and put Easter eggs in there for people who really are fans of that particular uh, person or genre. And that's exactly what it is. It's a little Easter egg uh, that people will enjoy. Mm. Now, how was this film received? I mean, was it in a film festival? It was. Uh, it received 17 awards altogether uh, between two different film festivals. So um, you got Best Actress twice. Uh, we got a Best Actor Award, Best Cinematography, Best New Director, Best Director, Best Horror Film, Best Supporting Actress, and the list went on. Uh, we got a lot of awards. We were really, really blessed in that sense. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it was received really well. People enjoyed it. They loved the storyline. Um, I think the biggest compliment we got was it was the fastest two hours and six minutes I've ever seen. They weren't bored. And that's something, you know, oh. as a filmmaker, you're really happy to hear, that the story was compelling and kept them interested for two hours and six minutes. That's brilliant. That's brilliant because that's a key word that you said there because a lot of filmmakers that would would even try to attempt to make a two-hour film, you really have to have the uh, the skills, the, the technology, the interest, the story writing to even make it to keep people's interest and that's brilliant. Yeah, I mean, and the, the tough part, I think, about the film was, and it was my first movie, so, you know, you never know what you're going to get. And right. I actually had to cut out 12 scenes because it was too long. And, you know, so doing the editing as well and, and writing the story, you fall in love with the story. And you're like, oh, but I love that scene. But you have to think about what the audience is really going to want to see. And is that scene important in the film? And, and that's basically what, what I did is I just cut out what I thought was just not necessary and kept the necessary elements within the film. That's fucking cool. I can't wait to see it. I'm actually going to, I'm going to check that out very, very soon. Your next one in 2012, you have one. You know, I'm not really a big vampire fan. I'm really not. I mean, I mean, when I say that, I'm a, like a Fright Night vampire type film. I'm, a, you know, I'm very picky. I don't like the glittery, stupid, <laughs> uh, homo homophobic Twilight garbage. <laughs> I, you know, even the old days of Dracula wasn't really my thing either. Right. But... If there's, okay, like I said, like a Fright Night type feel where it's it's a vampire, it's, you know, it's not that glittery shit. So the Vampire Rise of the Fallen, can you talk to me and the listeners about this? Yeah, um, basically I'm like you. I, I'm totally not into a lot of how the vampire has been portrayed. Uh, one of my favorite vampire films, and I actually got the, the pleasure of, of uh, conducting a panel with these guys, was for The Lost Boys. And... Yes. What a great vampire film. Uh, what an iconic vampire film. And it changed how people perceived it. So instead of having these long draped capes, these guys are in, you know, motorcycle jackets and trench coats. I wanted to make a film that kind of resembled modern times uh, with, with that little bit of a Lost Boys feel. So when I made Vampire's Rise of the Fallen, it really went along that genre. Uh, you know, nice. You've got, you've got these vampires who are, are, are seeking out this girl who's supposed to uh, – basically she has the key to whether or not the vampire species is going to survive or if it's going to die or go in the wrong direction. And then you've got another vampire clan that's basically a, uh, trying to get her as well in order to take people out of, out of the equation and say, okay, you guys are our cattle. We're going to treat you that way. Um, whereas you know, vampires, just like any perfect predator, they have to blend in and survive in society. So if you go into the deeper aspects of what this film is actually about, it, it truly is about people's uh, desire to fit in and, and people's desires to, to you know not always be seen as outside or different, but it's right. okay to be that way. So there, there's definitely, I, I guess you could say, psychology behind it, but it's just a fun film. Um, unfortunately, that film has not been able to be released yet because somebody decided to pirate it and put um, 
not edited copy up on YouTube, which we're dealing with now. But, you know, hopefully within the next six months, we'll be able to release that film as it was intended. And um, you know, people will enjoy that. Nice. Now, you mentioned about the Lost Boys. You, uh, I can remember back in 2010, I went to the Horrifying, which doesn't exist anymore. And Billy Worth and Brooke McCarter was there, yeah. which, God bless, uh, Brooke McCarter passed away yes, he did. In yeah. this past December. And also Edward Herman was in Lost Boys, and I've noticed I, I didn't I didn't know that, but he passed away in December of 2014, December 31st. That's yep. two cast members. Um, and of course Corey Haim passed away as well. I, Lost Boys, that type of vampire in Fright Night are my two favorites. Now, of course, I'm an '80s guy, anyways. Yeah. I mean, it's kind of it's really hard to even try and and you can't even master the '80s anymore. No. I mean, 80s, I grew up on, and, and I always, doesn't matter if it's fucking cheesy, shitty, whatever, it's just me. I just like that old 80s feel. And when people, like filmmakers today, if they can make a film and make it an 80s throwback film, mm-hmm. I mean, I love that shit because, you know, it's the style of killing. You you remember how it, how the horror films was in 881 where a guy brings a knife up. And then you, they don't show the gore. Yeah, they pull the Hitchcock. They they like psychologically I, decide what's going on. And I love that yeah. shit. And then you'll I find mean, that a Soulmate lot. too. Soulmate's a lot like that. Um, okay. Not necessarily in the sense of like being an '80s film, but in the sense of how I shot it and how I wanted the violence to be controlled. Um, it, it really is. It gives a lot to the psychology of doing the Hitchcock thing, where you don't always see, you know, this happened or that happened, but you know what happened. It's real simple. Um, you know, films are like anything else in history. You have trends. And we've had decade trends where, you know, in the 70s, films are a certain way. In mm-hmm. the 80s, films are a certain way. In the 90s and now into the 2000s. And the point is, everything comes back to doing, you know, a certain film style or genre. Um, we've had the slasher age. We've had the age of, of, of found footage. We've had the, the salt style movies where everything's about gore and there's no story really. It's just gore, 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 gore with a little bit of a storyline that sounds fun. Um, what I'm concentrating on now with my company, um, which is Harvest Moon Motion Pictures and Television, is we're bringing film to a point where it's more cerebral. We're, we're really looking into the mind of people and deciding you know, psychologically what do they really want to see. And is this going to be something that's just a flash in the pan? Or is it going to be something that 30 years later, they're still going to get scared when they watch it? And that's what we're looking for. We're looking for something that scares people to the core. Nice. Now, the cast for the for uh, Vampires Rise, and Rise of the Fallen, you had Jessica Felice again as Scarlet. Mm-hmm. Johnny Alonzo as Vince. Of course, Sean Anson. Sean, I think his name is Sean Fuck Anthony. That's right. As Maximus. That was, that was, that was Sean Fuck. I'm never going to put myself in a... <laughs> Uh, Celine Cedeno as Michelle, Maddie Howard as Amy, Ali Lewowski as Monique, Sam Lewowski as Wolf, and the uh, cast goes on a lot of talented, young, uh, up-and-coming actors. Yeah. So, a lot of actors, I mean, this is their first film, and, and they did a great job. They did a great job, you know, um, but you learn, you know, there's a lot of directors out there that direct, they write it, they direct it, they star in it, and, you know, if they can do it, more power to them. But what I found doing vampires, and I didn't star in vampires. I had, you know, I had a, a role, obviously. But the whole thing is, when you're acting and you're, and then you're trying to direct, it's really tough to go between mm-hmm. being an actor and being a director and really getting the product that you want. I think right. that's the biggest thing is if you're going to direct, direct. You know, unless you unless you've you know accomplished something like I, I, you know, people don't like him that much, I guess, because of 
past things, but Mel Gibson to me was one of these guys that could act and direct. Robert Redford, who's a huge hero of mine, is a great actor director. Um, I just found it's not my thing, you know. Right. So, right. But well, go ahead. go ahead. No, no, go ahead, please. <laughs> no, I was just going to say when I, when I mentioned earlier about uh, for a filmmaker to uh, make a film to throw it back in the eighties you know, in the early 90s era, you know how the films are. The next film I do want to talk about is, now I'm a big werewolf fan. Ah. I'm in the days of Silver Bullet, American Werewolf in London. I mean, a scene from American Werewolf in London, I'm going to bring this up to you and, and you give me your perspective on it. I think what makes American Werewolf in London so fucking creepy and awesome is the scene in the graveyard to where it's dark, they're walking through the cemetery, they're hearing wolf growls, they're hearing some crazy shit. They start, decide to walk fast. That's a scary fucking scene. Yeah, the, the Moore scene. Yeah, they're, they're, they're sitting there walking over, and, and they are got their backpacks on, and they're looking around, and the moon's in the background, and the fog is rolling in. I mean, yes. that's all about framing, and that's all about, you know, and this is something, I, I, it's a pet peeve of mine, and it's something I've learned over time. It's just as important as to how the scene is conducted, not just the acting in the scene, but what you see within that scene. And I saw a great short film. And the guy's like, what did you get out of the short film? And I'm like, well, I got that he played a lot of games. He had a, an Xbox in the back, in, you know, in the scene. And I thought that was relevant, but it wasn't. He, there was no relevance for the Xbox. It was all about this guy proposing to a girl. But it, lost, it got lost in translation, translation because of the way the scene was shot, because they didn't pay attention to how they framed it. So American Werewolf in London is a prime example of great framing. Um, the Shining is probably the most exemplary film when it comes to great framing and knowing exactly what every aspect of your set is doing for your actor and doing for your audience. It's, uh, it's yeah. so important, you know, but I agree with you, man. I, I think that's probably one of the best scenes in film and horror because the anticipation it builds is just insane, you know. And Silver Bullet's the same way. I mean, the kid in the wheelchair. Yep. I mean, brilliant. Absolutely. Now, speaking of, the, of werewolves, you have a project called the American Werewolf Project in 2014, which I would love to see this. It's based in the 80s and the early 90s. Various witnesses near Elkhorn, Wisconsin, report seeing a large, hairy creature walking upright. Mm -hmm. Fucking sounds up my alley and brilliant. It, it um, yeah. It basically, I, I took all these legends that we do, and a lot of the werewolf movies we do are set in Europe, um, because obviously the werewolf legends are huge in Europe. I wanted to find a legend that was exclusively American, that that was from the United States, and they did have. Uh, they call it the Beast of Bray Road. And this this creature has been seen many times over the course of history for hundreds of years. Huh. So I wanted to make a film based on those actual facts. And that's that's kind of how this one came about. And it's got some creepy scenes in it. There's a really cool cabin scene in it. Um, and we, we keep the wolf hidden for the most part up until the end. I love and that, that way, again, you build suspense. American Werewolf American in London was the same way. You know, yep. We didn't see the wolf till halfway through the film. So going along those lines, that's kind of exactly what I did. And and the special effects in that movie is so incredible when he changes into werewolf. Yes, I've actually got to see the behind the scenes on that. Um, they have a, a deal down in Florida that you get to go into a special effects studio. And they were showing how they actually used the mechanics to push the mask out and uh, the, the prosthetic. And I was just like, this is incredible, the detail that went into this. So, I mean, hats off to the special effects people. And that's the other thing, yes. you know, in film. People take for granted the CGI, the special effects, practical effects especially, of how much work goes into this. And it, it just it amazes me that they don't give the credit where credit's due in that, in that sense. But at the same time, 
uh, on the flip side of the coin, if they don't notice the special effects, that's always a good thing too, because they're not like, well, that was a really cool effect because they're so enthralled in the film. So, right. you know, that's cool too. Right. But afterwards, you know, it's always nice to give credit to the special effects artist. <laughs> Sorry. So now how was this film received? Um, it was received well. It was received really well. We're actually doing a reboot of this film because I guess uh, much like in the lines of George Lucas, I didn't have the budget or the technology I wanted when I made this film. And now that I do, I, I want to make it the way I really wanted to make it in the beginning. So there's going to be a reboot of this film. It was up for a while on uh, Video On Demand, and I pulled it. Uh, and it was because of that, because I'm going to actually redo the whole film and um, do what I want to do with it. So. Mm. Nice. Now, of course, it stars Jessica Felice. Yes. Stephen Moretti. Go ahead and ask the question. Why do I always use Jessica Felice? It gets asked, no. I get asked that a lot, actually, and I want to tell you why. Um, Go ahead. Because a lot of people, you know, I, I've had the Tim Burton comment made to me. You're like Tim Burton with Johnny Depp. It, it's absolutely like that. When you find an actor that gives 110% on every role that they do and never bitches, never moans, and is just willing to, you know, do anything to make the film a success, that's the kind of actor you want to be with. And she's done so well with that, with promoting, with just doing everything she needs to do on set, off set. I mean, it's fantastic. So I use her. I use her in almost every film I do. That's, I guess you could say Jessica Felice has become a muse in that sense. <laughs> Interesting. Yeah, you know what? I've, it's, it's awesome. I mean, I mean, if you can find a reliable lead actress for your films and you have a chemistry and it works, why not? Absolutely. Absolutely. Awesome. And you'll see, there's yeah, a I, lot of people I use multiple times. You'll see names from vampires that are in Werewolf. And you'll see names from Soulmate that are in Vampires. So if I find good actors, I, I tend to like to use them over again, you know? Awesome. The next film I want to talk about, when, when I see this title, I think of a Twisted Sister song. <laughs> <laughs> the Price in 2015. Yes, my dollar budget film. So The Price was a short film. It was my first short film. I went in reverse. I did a feature before I ever did a short. But it was a contest going on to do a short film for a dollar. You couldn't spend more than a dollar. So I spent my dollar on a Coke Zero. Um, but, <laughs> but the fact was, uh, it, it was, it turned out to be a really fun short film. Um, it's, it's based around a woman who her husband splits up with her. She has to go live with her brother and she winds up making a deal with the devil essentially. And there's a price to pay for that. And that's what the film is all about is what price does she pay in the end for what she wanted, um, in getting revenge on her husband. Hmm. Interesting. And now you got the, you the have... sister song stuck in my head. Thanks dude. I... <laughs> <laughs> that's what it reminds me of when I see the title. Yeah. I'm a big eighties Hair man, oh, uh, hair dude, metal. Hair nation, too. dude. Hair nation. That's right. <laughs> I look for all the time. Oh yeah, good old days of Rat and Motley Crue, Wasp. I can go on and on and on. Cinderella. That's my. <laughs> yep. Poison. That's my bad passion. Yeah, man. But the next film I really want to see as well, um, The Haunted in 2015. Mm -hmm. the tagline is very interesting. Something wicked this way comes. I've heard that before. Yeah. It's actually a famous quote. But before we get to The Haunted, I just wanted to address the second short film I did, which is called Blood Loss. My bust. Uh, blood, yeah, blood Loss. And um, that was actually uh, written by a guy named Christopher Sands. And it's a short film about a vampire who is taking a pill to become human again. Oh. And it's between her and her brother. Uh, her brother's trying to help her with this, this transition. And the whole, the whole storyline goes basically he's wondering, he thinks the, the pill is working. She knows it's not. 
and she's coming to a point that, that this this bloodlust that she has is either going to take over and wind up making her kill her brother or she has to make another decision. So the film really is based upon that decision that she has to make and us watching her go through this challenge. And it's, it's a, a really cool short film. And that was also received quite well. Uh, both those short films appear in our series Tales of Horror, which is, you know, we'll talk about that later. But they're both yeah. in there in episode three, along with Tom Holland's Five or Die. But nice. now moving on to The Haunted. Um, and I didn't mean to cut you off like that, so I apologize. No, that's fine. Uh, the Haunted is the largest budget film I've, I've ever made. Um, it, it is a big budget. It's a good film. Um, it was shot in Wales uh, is where we're shooting. And um, basically it's about a woman who during the 1600s is tried as one of the last people tried for witchcraft in London. And she's killed. And 200 years later, she's resurrected. Huh. And she's resurrected basically to do the devil's bidding. However, she still has what you could call a conflict of soul. So the story basically is about her rebelling against the biggest rebeller of all, which is Lucifer, and letting her soul take over and do what she feels is the right thing to do. Um, very, very evil things go on, obviously, uh, but it's, 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 a, it's a period piece. So as far as how it's shot and how it feels, it, it has a very unique feel to it. And it, I think people are going to really receive that one well. I really do. Nice, I'm interested. Of course, has a great cast as usual. Jessica Felice, uh, Senkiz Jervis. Senkiz Jervis, yep. Uh, Seth wait, Grenard, Grenard, yep. Grenard, April Hartman, mm-hmm. Christina M. Holis, Jamie Lee Hill, Tyler Lewick, Amanda Marie, Sean Parr, Noah Ross, Nicholas Vince, and Carl Wharton. Carl Wharton sounds awfully familiar. Well, a lot of them are from England. Uh, Nicholas Vince should probably sound familiar too. He played the Chatterer. In, in Hellraiser. Okay, yeah, he yeah. He's a Cenobite in Hellraiser. But, um, yeah, uh, Carl's done a lot of stuff uh, in regards to films over there, especially, obviously. Um, they're from England. Uh-huh. But 90% of our cast is actually from England, and that is not a complete cast list. We have a couple A-listers we have not listed. And we, nice. we won't do so until the film is actually getting ready to be released. So Sweet. Well, I'm looking forward to that one. So uh... That's my baby. That That is uh, probably the project I'm probably most proud of at this point in time in my, my career. Hmm. And, that, and that's saying a lot. Yeah, yeah, it, it is. I mean, uh, it's, it was a passion project. It was two years in the making, and it, it yeah, it's going to be one of those projects. I hope that people look at it and say, "Wow, this is a phenomenal film." Um, so it should be should be interesting to see how it's received. But I think the audiences are ready for it. They're ready for a good gothic horror, and that's exactly what it is. It's, it's a great gothic horror on the lines of Shelley and Byron. So interesting. Now, as you know, I. Listeners know that I play a character of Cephas with um, Bo and Lulu in the Hillbilly Horror Show, yep. which we uh, support independent filmmakers for their short films to try and help them get their projects out and to help them make some money on their short films. We have four volumes. I mean, they're available on Amazon and Walmart and Best Buy and Voodoo and I can't even name them all. You have a very similar type thing but except yours is a tv series every two weeks called tales of horror yes and first let me say scott uh, i didn't steal your idea i swear <laughs> <laughs> it's not my idea but i'll bring that up because um the similarities not the good way i mean to support the independent filmmaker because a lot of these uh directors will will make short films and you know i'm sorry to say this but a lot of these horror film festivals 
basically have the winners before the festival festival even starts. Sure. It's just the bottom line. And it's no different than I the can, Oscars or anything else. There's, there's yes, right. There's always favorites. Sure. And there's a lot of filmmakers that have films that are fucking brilliant that doesn't get picked. Mm-hmm. Again, they're only allowed to have so many films. I mean, the Fantastic Horror Film Festival in San Diego is a legit company that I work for as a celebrity judge, and I'm in the committee. Uh, when short films could send to them, they send it to, to the judges to watch, and it's based off of that. There isn't no automatically picked short film or a film full feature already picked before the judges even seen it. Every film that's in that festival, a judge, our judges have to see, and they see every one of them. Oh, you mean it's not so, one of those festivals where they say they have judges and you realize that it's only one person that decides to pick? Yeah, <laughs> I, that's why I expressed that because I know of a film festival that I worked for in the past that a film got best feature and it sucked. And I never ever judged on it. Yeah. Ironically, right? Yep. So that's how I know some of these film festivals, you know, I mean, if if it's Tom Dick and Harry's best friend, okay, you win the award. Yeah. I mean, there's a bunch of them. I'm not going to mention no names, no festivals. But again, there are filmmakers that make short films that are brilliant, but they go nowhere with it. Not that they're not that they're trying to go somewhere with it, but it's to get their work out for people to see. And people like Blue Dagoye, the producer of the Hillbilly Horror Show, and people like you are the ones that give the uh, independent filmmakers a chance for their films to be seen. Congratulations, Sean. I really appreciate it. And you it. as well. You know, and that's the thing. I mean, there's a lot of, there's a lot of these types of shows um, on YouTube and other places that don't charge. And they, just, they show these horror films, these short films for free. And the problem I have with that is essentially – you're getting someone's work that they've really struggled and put money into and they're not getting anything in return other than exposure. And I get so sick of hearing, Oh, it'll be good exposure for you. Well, hell with that. You know, we don't want to just give them good exposure. We want to give them money for their next film and, and use them again as a director writer for, for our company when we put out season two, which is all going to be original content. So Uh it, it really is. It's a talent pool and a way for them to get money in and get appreciation on their film itself. And we're, we're very excited about doing it, and it's been received really, really well. Um, now, we're, we're strictly on Vimeo right now, Vimeo On Demand. But I'll tell you what, it hasn't slowed us down on what we're getting done. And the filmmakers are happy, we're happy, and the audience is happy, and that's really what counts. Um, and by the way, just so, so people know, you got, you got to watch the Hillbilly Horror Show. It's a blast. I, I, I got <laughs> to watch it. It's some good stuff. So be sure, well, thank be you. sure to check it out, seriously. Good stuff. The mumbling idiot Cephas. That's <laughs> me. But yet I talk. Um, I've noticed that uh, that one of my good buddies, Peter Dukes, mm-hmm. is a director in one of – now, which film – not to be ignorant, we but which picked, film was picked, in it? We got Little Reaper, and I'll tell you why I picked uh, Little Reaper. I love Little Reaper. Little Reaper was one of our, our, our episode one features. I saw Little Reaper when it first came out in California. I was at a short film festival, and he was there, of course, talking about it and everything. And this is two years prior to – me actually, you know, getting the company and, and doing this, but I loved that film. And granted, it's not like what you would consider to be mainstream horror because it is a comedy. But right. oh my god, the genius behind that film—it is—it was fantastic. The daughter on the phone, I love it. Absolutely, that's a good short. So film. we were happy to get that film. Um, so yeah, that was that was one of our season one openers. Was Little Reaper? It was the last last film in this in, in that episode, and um, a lot of comments on it. A lot of people loved it, you know, and that's what counts. It gets them out there. And, you know, we, when we do our thing, we, we have them take all their stuff off 
you know, being online for free. And right. some people have a problem with that. They're like, well, I don't want to do that. I want to do it on yours, and then I want to keep it on mine. The problem with that is how can I, in good conscience, charge my clients, my customers, money for something they could see for free somewhere else? So we're real strict about that. You know, unless we're giving the episode away for free, we got to charge, and you got to take it down. It's that, exactly right. You know, we did a Christmas Eve special that was absolutely free, and, and those filmmakers were fine with that. They're like, it's, that's cool. We understand. And I got a filmmaker um, in that one from Greece that did a, uh, I mean, you get a chance to see it, see it. It's called Santa. And oh my gosh, it's a 90 second short film. And it is just beautifully shot, wonderfully acted, greatly directed, good special effects. It, it's just the, the best 90 seconds I spent in my day. It was just fantastic. So oh, wow. I was really happy to have that. Um, we had another one called Winter Stalker, which was really good. Uh, there was just the, the Christmas Eve special was 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 really received well. We had some good films in it. It was it was a lot of fun. Just a lot. Of fun. Nice. Yeah. There's nothing like a Christmas. There's nothing like a Christmas horror film. Absolutely. I mean, you know, <laughs> fans, everybody else, they're watching Alvin and the Chipmunks and all that kinds of other stuff. We don't. Have <laughs> you know, you can always go back to Silent Night, Deadly Night, but then you watch it now, and it's like, really? I watched this back then. I was scared. Come on, you know. I love it. You mean uh, Silent Night, Zombie Night is another film that uh, you got to see. Uh, zombie Santa, you got to see uh, that one. I just watched Zombies, Cockneys versus Zombies the other day. That oh geez, I loved that fucking film. Great film, man. Oh I've my got, god. I got my go-to's when I want to get put in a good mood for horror. You know, like um, was it uh, Dale and uh, shit. Dale and uh, yeah, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like Cephas. They forget the other guy. But anyway. <laughs> 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 versus, yeah, versus evil. That's a great film to watch and just, just you know, be happy. Tucker and Dale. That's yeah, thank it. you, Tucker and Dale versus Evil. Yeah, that's a great oh film. God. What a great. Film. Oh. <laughs> but uh, oh my god, that's a good one though. They, they, they always seem to forget Cephas, huh? Yeah, I know. He's I was just like, you know, mumbles, Tucker who? You know? Tucker who's Tucker? He's in the film. <laughs> Cephas, Cephas who? He's in, what? He mumbles. We don't need to talk about him. <laughs> yeah, right. We have 85 interviews and zero for Cephas. That's nice. Interview Cephas. That's something I would, I would want to see. I want to see Cephas get interviewed. You know? Well, that thing, well. I think would be a blast. And I think when you do the interview, you should mumble the whole time. I'm like Charlie Brown's teacher. You know how hard that is because I talk. Yeah, I know. Oh. Just like Charlie Brown's teacher, though. It would be like, wah, 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 wah. It's been up. I have to sit there and set like, oh, come on. I want to talk, damn it. This is driving me crazy. Yeah. But, yeah. But, uh yeah, that's fun stuff. Well, you know, I'm 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 proud of you. I mean, again, helping the filmmakers out with their shorts, and it's a good idea. And I hope for the big success for that for you, and I hope for the ultimate success for Hibley Horror Show as well. Well, I hope that we succeed together. You know, it's, Amen. this community. There's so many of us, and there's so much competition going on. And I'm gonna, I'm like, you know, I, and I hate to say this because I, I try to sound as professional as possible, but what the hell? There's so you know, there's plenty of audience for everybody out there. Instead of like bad-mouthing each other and, 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 you know, playing that bullshit game. The whole idea is to, to pick each other up and, and help out in any way you possibly can with, with people's projects. If we stood together as a community, horror would not be, you know, I guess you could say as, as a limited watch as it is. I mean, horror is a great genre, but you got to almost be mainstream horror for people to even understand who you are because independent film, it's got such a bad rap because people are like, oh, it's, you know, it's not shot as good and I'm not going to watch it if the budget's under $15 million. And they don't realize the gems that they're missing by not contributing that way. And, you know, if everyone just stuck together, oh, my gosh, people would be introduced to a whole new genre of film. 
but instead they're playing petty games and doing stupid things and and you know i'm a better director oh your your, your actors suck your film sucks you know what yeah. if you don't like it don't watch it but if it sucks i achieved my goal which is i created art because art has you have an opinion of art it's either good or it's bad you'd be surprised of what i learned in the last five and a half years i could write a book about being a reviewer Oh, I bet. Honest to freaking God. I mean, I've I've went through so much. You know, it's, you know, you start a podcast and you have a few that's out there, whatever. And then you start getting some steam. You start getting some popularity. And then the jealous heads come out. And then they want to send emails to filmmakers. Say, hey, don't send your film to Gruesome. Mm-hmm. You know, I've dealt with all that. I've got slammed on Facebook. Oh, I love it when they block you on Facebook and then talk shit about you okay. on Facebook that you can't see. I've gone through so much. I've gone through filmmakers that, you know, they want you to promote their film and your short film and you do it. You interview them. You pass them on to other reviewers. All of a sudden, gruesome who? Yeah. You know, it's like, you know, it's like they... They, um, like, they, they, oh, yeah, when I get my, make my second film, you'll be the first one to see it. I don't have to be the first one to see it. I could care fucking less. But when I am number 1,996 person to actually see it, I think it reviews a little bit too late, don't you think? There you go. <laughs> so I kind of pissed off a filmmaker, and I, we're not really in good terms anymore, but I just simply told him that. I said, why are you contacting me now after you submitted it to festivals? Um, 1,900 people have seen it. What does my opinion matter? Obviously, it didn't matter that much before, so why does it matter now? Right. So I'm a person that I'm outspoken. I don't, you know, I could care less. I'm not here. You know, if you're going to dupe me, then I'm going to dupe you. And, you know, it's like I got a film the other day that I, that, um, that's been out and reviewed and I'm seeing posters of people's quotes. I'm thinking, hmm, I wonder what, hmm, but nobody didn't bother to contact me. So he sent it to me. So, you know, I more likely I'll probably never review it. I mean, I'm not being a dick, but that's just the way I am. If I wasn't good enough then, then I'm not good enough now. Yeah. I, I, can, I think my I favorite can review moment was, uh, there was a pretty major horror site that reviewed vampires and I was like, how did they review vampires? Empires because it's not out. Oh, yeah. So they reviewed it based on some some crap that that you know they they got off of YouTube, which to me is really really bad when you're doing a review <laughs> on stolen footage. And yeah. Right. I, I think my favorite thing, and this is where you could tell that the reviewer wasn't, um, I guess you could say professional. It was more of an attack on me than a review because it was like, and he's fat. Why did he play the part? I'm like, oh, there's a, there's a limit on weight when you're playing a part. <laughs> you know, he's a fat vampire. Oh, I drank a lot of blood. Fuck off. You know. <laughs> <laughs> it's just like it's that kind oh. of review. It's like that's not even a review. All that really is is a personal attack, and I've had plenty of those, and that's fine. You know, uh, I look at it this way: if people want to work with me based on what the, you know their experience with me, that's fine. If they want to, you know, not work with me because of rumors, that's fine. It, 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 one way or the other, I'm making film, and that's the bottom yeah. line. You know, judge you want to judge me, judge me on the work that I'm doing, not you know, not what you think or what you've heard or any of that crap. Because um, I mean. And I've never stooped to the level of talking shit about other people that I know talk shit about me. I've never stooped to that level. I never will because to me it's right. like if you're still talking about me four years later, get a fucking life. You know what I mean? It's like just oh, yeah. do something. You, you can make a better film. Do it. Show me. 
Well, show me the error of my ways, please. <laughs> you brought up something that I thought was just fucking brilliant. <laughs> Do you know um, Texas <laughs> has a lot of filmmakers? Yes. Okay, and Michael Colburn is a good friend of mine. Exceptional of him, and maybe Jeremy Campbell. But there's a group of filmmakers in Houston that they actually run this film festival at Texas Frightmare, wherever the hell it is. Uh-huh. Did you ever happen to look to see who the winners are in this festival? I have not. <laughs> they're either part of the membership committee or they're good friends in the same area, okay? Uh-huh. I bring this up for a reason. Um, you mentioned about how somebody reviews a film is stolen on YouTube, okay? Have you ever noticed that these idiot fucking wannabe reviewers will actually download a steal movie on the torrent, download it, and then bash the fuck out of it? It didn't cost you a damn dime, so why you bother? I don't think reviewers should bash anyone's film anyway. That's my opinion. I look at it this way. If you like the film, then put a review out. If you don't like the film, write to the filmmaker and say, listen, I can't review it at this point in time. And that way the filmmaker can say, oh, okay, what's, what's up? And you can say, well, honestly, the film just wasn't what I was looking for in a review. But to sit there and just pick someone's stuff apart after they put their heart and soul into it, not everybody's mm-hmm. freaking George Lucas or Steven Spielberg. That's exactly right. You know, they're learning. And a lot of these guys, they look to people and say, you know, I know I'm learning, but can you please review my film and tell me what you think? And, yeah, sure, write your write-up and, and, and make it as positive. You can find something positive. And even the worst film can have something positive in it, okay? Right. And then say, you know, you might want to work on your edit, your lighting, your color correct, whatever. Whatever the problem was. And, and let them know so they can fix it for next time. Because if all you're doing is slamming them, all you're really doing is taking their heart. And I'm sorry. I'm a human being. You know, we don't need to do that to people. And, again, I'm all about picking people up. It's not, I'm not going to look at something that's shitty and say, oh, this is fantastic work. But I'm also, you know, going to be constructive in my criticism, not just an asshole. Okay, well, you brought up three points. So you, you, you get me going all the time. You hit on three nerves with me. As I was trying to, to finish up what I was talking about in Texas, where there's a film that was made that they were in, in a small part in, and they had a feud with the, uh, the director and the special effects, whatever. So this person goes on Amazon poses as a regular person and bashes the film that they were in. Yeah. How shitty is that? Well, and you know, that's the funny thing. When you get actors that are bashing a film that they've done, all they're really doing is hurting themselves. You know, when you get anybody that bashes their own film or gets other people to bash it, you're not hurting the person that made the film. You're hurting yourself because you make yourself look like shit. You know, (laughs) that's the whole thing. It's like, oh my God, can you believe this, that, and the other? Well, you know, you can blame the director all you want, but... Let's also talk about the acting ability and things of that nature. I mean, they're going to look at everything at that point. That's the news. If you don't want to support it, don't support it. But don't try to badmouth it either. Oh, now, what was I going to say now? I'm from the damn blank. We were talking about shitty reviewers and, 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 you know. Having a little, having a little bit of integrity when you're actually doing a reviewer write up. Oh yes. Now I remember. Now as a reviewer, you mind you, you pay for the internet. Okay, and you pay for the whatever program you use for your podcasting or whatever. Okay, mm-hmm. I was told by this idiot reviewer, it is our job to bash a film if it stinks. No, it's not our job. Are you getting paid to review a movie? It's not your job. See, my belief, my beliefs in being a reviewer is, let's say I watch um, The Price. Mm-hmm. Okay, let's say I reviewed it. And I didn't like it, okay? 
why am I going to go, yeah, I watched Sean Anthony's The Price, and it's a piece of fucking shit. The lighting was terrible. There's there's a big dark spot in the left corner. Um, you really couldn't relate to the characters and blah, blah, blah. It's just really garbage. Oh, you've seen the movie. So, no, I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> so that's my review. Okay. Okay. Now. Okay. Woo. First of all, you as a reviewer is giving your input on that film. But what people don't realize, one, it hurts you if it's a no-budget film, if it's your first one, I'm just hypothetically saying. And two, if you get listeners to your reviews for years, chances are what you don't like, they're not going to bother watching. Right. Because they already know what the tastes are. So by saying that, okay, if I don't care for a film, you know, if it's, I like it, and I don't like it, I'll review it. I'll be fair, you know, five, five and a half, four and a half, whatever. But when it comes down to a flat out destroying the film, I'm not doing it. Yeah. Because it, it doesn't, all it's going to do is, oh yeah, I got some fans now. We're all alike. We all bash films. Yeah. And, and chances are it's all a bunch of bullshit lies because, you know, they like it. How arrogant though would that be for a reviewer in the simple fact that just like any other piece of art, it's purely subjective. So you're basically saying my subjective will is going to become your will, and you're going to do what I say because, gosh, I have the power of the pen. Oh, mm. and, or the keyboard. And, and, yeah, or the keyboard. I forgot people don't like to usually write in pen anymore. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I always write my scripts in pen first, then I type it. But anyway. Um, That's brilliant. But it's it just – it's a control factor. And the, yeah. the, the one thing that they're – I guess they want an ego boost or something. They feel like – being negative is, is a huge ego boost. I find being negative to be one of the easiest things you could possibly do in your life. It's really tough to be positive. And it's tough on a filmmaker, especially, when you've got some negative freaking keyboard jockey sitting back there judging your film when they've never had the balls or the testicular fortitude to go out and make their own movie. And if they have, yeah. more than likely, it's probably not that great either. But they didn't have people bashing them. They think their stuff is the best work in the world. I mean... You know, you can look at Da Vinci. You can look at a lot of the artists of, the, of their era, and people hated them. And now they're legends. So yes. before you bash somebody or put them down, remember where they're going to be in the next five to ten years. And you better hope that they don't keep that in mind, and that they're forgiven. Oh, yeah. You know what I mean? Well, yeah. Well, I know exactly what you mean because when I first started reviewing, I'm saying from like 2010 until about 2012, um, I got the opportunity to audition for a, a bartending role in a movie called Dakota, a drama of all things. <laughs> I mean, even though I don't like promoting that film because he fucked me over, but, I mean, it was still my first experience, okay? And being behind the camera and learning your lines, even if it's a small part, it's still important to the film, but to be behind camera, to wait until it's your scene, okay? It's hard. Sure it is. I mean, when you watch people in the movies, oh my, it look, they make it look so easy. <laughs> but you know what? You see the final result. You don't see... What it's like to make that right, film. Six, you six, don't see how many takes that to do. 16 hours on the set, 20 takes later, and the person still has to keep their energy levels up. Exactly. And you got to repeat your line like 15 times because something can go wrong. Yep. So for a reviewer to stand there and bash someone's film who would never, ever had a never even had even in front of the fucking camera to even do that, shut the fuck up because it's, it's hard. It's not easy. Until you've done it, okay. But a lot of these freaking reviewers irritate me because here's the best part that I've come to realize. The ones that write it. 
the ones that I do vocal like I do, it's it's hard to do. But I like it when you have these reviewers that get these films from uh, Jack Schmidt and Peter Buckley and Joe Ho Blow, um, films that are not even worthwhile even looking at because you know it's coming from a 50 cent budget tits boobs no no it doesn't even have to be that not even a story to even go by well do a review right and i love this part they'll put in bold letters a quote in the review like wink wink i like your movie if you put put, put a name back your dvd cover i love that shit I love it. You could tell right then and there that when you watch, when you read a review online, you'll see, fucking awesome movie. You can't just watch it once. Big bold letters and parentheses. Hmm. Jeez, guess what? That showed up in the back of a DVD cover six months to a year later. That's a fucking joke. Yeah, and you want to know what pisses me off even more than that is when you have somebody, like, let's say you review my film. Okay, and you're the first person to review it. Of course I'm going to put your quote on my DVD. You're the first person to review the film, Right. I hate right. it when someone has somebody do that. They take the time, they do the review, they write the quote, and then all of a sudden, you know, the DVD comes out and they're nowhere to be found. They've got somebody that they just that just reviewed it two weeks ago. They have a quote for that person. A fucking man. It, that happens respect. all it's, the time. It's a lack of respect and a lack of professionalism, in my opinion, um, on the filmmaker's part when they do that. You've got to remember where you come from and who helps support you. And mm-hmm. if somebody's supporting you, it, to me, the integrity is to support them back. You know, that's right. that's just common sense. And it builds good business relationships because all in all, this is a business. You know, mm-hmm. all these mm-hmm. artsy films, and people are like, I just want to make art. Well, go somewhere else because <laughs> it's not going to sell and it's not part of the business. The business is, you know, your audience well enough and you know your demographic to understand what they're looking for. Right. And that's that's the truth behind it. You can still make art, but you've got to make art with a limitation of this is what my audience really wants. Um, you know, if you're trying to make a bold statement, whatever, but don't expect that thing's going to come out and do fantastic. Right. Well, if you ever go to, if you would ever go to Redbox, look at the films on there, and you can tell it's a trend. It's the same fucking movie distributors using the same quotes from the same sites. Yep. Don't you think? Don't they think that if people start catching on to Redbox, oh. It's them again. Well, I didn't like the last film that I got. Their quote was on. I'm not going to watch this fucking piece of shit. Right. Do you understand what I'm saying? They need to start mixing stuff up or mix stuff up. Because after a while, if people start seeing the same name on films, uh, the reviewer, and if they didn't like the last three, they ain't going to rent that fourth one. Right. You know, and it just amazes me how you brought it up, and I wasn't going to bring this up, but I'm already in a tirade all day today in this interview and I apologize for that but there's some valid points that we're bringing up here that's that... you have me swearing you have me swearing in an interview and I never I never <laughs> swear so you know obviously we're yeah, very never... passionate about certain aspects of this business yeah well it happens I've dealt with so I mean it's I I, I could tell you stories dude I, I could I'm telling you I could write a freaking novel of the crazy bullshit lie ass kissing shit that I've seen I mean, I've had instances where a reviewer tells me that the movie fucking sucks and they hate it. Then they go do a review and see how much they love it. Yeah. yeah. Oh, man. Yeah, get the politics out of it. You know what I mean? Just get the po- – that's uh, what business needs. I mean, yeah, we're a business, but at the same time, you don't have to play politics either. Just rely on the work. If it's good work, it's good work. If you're a good reviewer, yeah. you're a good reviewer. You're going to give an honest review. Yeah. But give an honest review that's, that's not going to you know, completely destroy someone's career before it ever starts too. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, oh, yeah I, I love it when when these uh, when you review a movie for these people, like you mentioned, you know, first, second, third doesn't really fucking matter to me. Okay, they'll take the time to make a trailer and put your quote in it as you know the first. You know, you were the first one to see it. I'm so and then like like you said, um, about six months later, when the last two people that reviewed it, oh wow, I'll use theirs because. You know, they could take me places, yeah. so I think. Yeah. And I hate it when these filmmakers will ask me, do you know anybody from Lady Disgusting? <laughs> Why the fuck would I get... No, I don't. Fuck Lady Disgusting, because that's, that's competition. Fuck them. That's like 18 people in a fucking site, or 30,000. Like Dread Central and all these. I'm one person. I don't... Don't ask me that fucking question, because I don't care. You know what I mean? Don't... Don't I'm anybody who tries to use that shit in my show, I cut it the fuck out when I edit it. I don't promote anybody. If they promote me, I'll promote them. But they don't. I'm not giving them free pub. Well, it's the same thing with with Harvest Moon. I mean, we're a distributor as well. And you know, when you have someone coming up, and they're like, um, you know, or would you distribute my film? And it might not be a film that goes along with our our particular library or catalog. And it's like mm-hmm. I can't really distribute this. Oh well, can you point me in the direction of someone who can? It's like I'm not going to do the legwork for anybody. You know no. what I mean? It's not me being an asshole. It's me saying, okay, my, my day is valuable. My hours are valuable. Why do I need to do this for you when you can do it on your own? Yep. Oh, yeah. So, yeah. anyways, that, that that's my last rant. Excuse me. Yeah, that's okay. <laughs> but it's a crazy... I mean, we have we are so much in common. I mean, to, to give you one quick one more story, I'm not going to mention no names, but you're going to love this. I can remember a film that was reviewed by this certain person. And that certain person, but this first person, while I was on the phone with the director, he tells that person to email me right away. <laughs> it was about me, wow. and I was on the phone with the director. I said, "Let me guess. He told you, do not send Scott your movie because da 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 da." He goes, "Yep, you're exactly right." I said, "And you going to associate with yourself with that scumbag?" Do you really want your film film to get out there? Then don't associate yourself with piece of shits like that because you're not going to go nowhere. Yep. End of story. But uh, yep, you're absolutely right. You're absolutely right. But you know it is what it is. But uh, it was fun to just bitching. It's how you get off you my know, good venting sessions are. Uh, I think a requirement for the <laughs> film community in the film field. You know, it's it's, it's a requirement. All right, well, let, let's get back to the business here. Sure. I mean, I'm sure people are probably going to say, oh, we know what Gruesome's talking about. Well, then, if you do, you do. Who cares? But the next film that I want to ask you about, Smokey, the Catastrophe? Ast- I always say it wrong. The Catastrophe. Is, it's a- yeah, that's, that's, yeah, right. So, yeah, so this is a film that was written by a, a guy named William Campbell. He's a young guy. Um, and he approached me about doing a voiceover for it. Now, normally, I don't do voiceovers for for cartoons um if it's not horror i don't normally even touch it i read the script and i'm just like this is just too freaking funny because it's like <laughs> south park meets the simpsons meets x-rated i mean it's just hilarious it's crazy um so i did it i, I played several characters in it and i've actually uh, been helping william on, on the on the business side of things too but this kid is he's, he's got some talent man and uh it was a blast it was just a lot of fun to do um i play i play a a cat uh, named mitchell and Mitchell is a homosexual cat. <laughs> I would love to do a voice over And for that. he's great. You know, it's, it's kind of like this. You know, I just like to do the Mitchell voice. But he was great. <laughs> I play, I play a, a pastor called Pastor Waste. Okay. 
Um, and so you can imagine the context in that. And then the other character I played was Reverend Du Bois. So, yeah, it, it, it's pretty sacrilegious. It's just fun. I mean, you know, it's like I was telling William, I said, you know, if you're looking to get this on prime time, it's probably not going to happen. However, there's definitely a market for this kind of film. And uh, I think he's going to I think he's going to do really well with it. I truly do. So I cannot wait. I mean, I would love I mean, I'm a voice actor, too. And I, my dream is to do a character in a cartoon. I would fucking take that and, oh, that'd be so much fun. You're in PA, right? Yes. Yeah, he's out of PA, too. Um, I'll have to get you guys together for his next next uh, project. Oh, that'd be so much fun. Yeah, I mean, it, it was fun. It was really fun. And I mean, oh, the I... story revolves around this cat named Smokey, who is a drug-addicted drug smoking cat who oh my God. who's having sex with a regular female, regular woman, not a cat. Um, oh, and it's God. having regrets of getting married and things like that. It's just, it's hilarious. It basically takes what we feel as people and uses animals and people and a mix of those things to basically make that statement. This is how people really are. This is what they're really thinking. Um, and so it's, it's really brilliant in that way. It really is. Now, is that can be seen or is it, or is it still in the making? It's still in the making. The animators are working on it. As a matter of fact, I have a meeting with them tomorrow to, to help him um, get this thing moving forward. But, uh, yeah, and again, you know, he had some mistakes that, that, that were done in, in regards to getting the right people in the right places to start with. So it probably should have been out about a year ago. But, like you know, you can get screwed in this industry quick. And, uh, uh-huh. and that's kind Amen. of what he's learning. And, and I'm helping to guide him a little bit in that sense so he doesn't get taken like a lot of people do. Um, just a good guy, really good guy, nice, nice person. But Ooh. fun film. So when it comes out, I definitely let you know. Because <laughs> yeah. this is one I think is going to be a riot. I really do. <laughs> well, the next one, there's no date on it. It's in pre-production, but manifestation. Manifestation will be out uh, this summer. So it films this spring. It'll be out this summer. Manifestation is uh, it was written by David Williams, and when he talked to me about you know taking the film over and directing it i was uh i read the script and all i could think of was like cthulhu it was just really one of those dark lovecraft type films it's a very dark film uh, it's about a couple who lose their child and the woman goes through such a traumatic time that her she manifests this creature with her mind and there's a whole play on whether or not it's reality whether it's fantasy whether she's going crazy a very dark deep film um, it's going to be fun. That one's going to be a blast to do as well. So, huh. And John Wells, I interviewed John Wells. Yes, good guy. John's a great guy. I, um, I would say John is probably one of my favorite actors that people don't really realize how talented this kid is, and and how nice he is as a person. Mm-hmm. Um, just a really really classy guy. Um, I'm really looking forward to working with him. Nice. Wow, dead air. I know, right? (laughs) (laughs) My internet's acting weird again. Now, the next is a TV series in pre-production, 2015. It's called The Witch of Blackwood. That's based off of the uh, vampires. I mean, The Haunted, yes. Yeah, Yeah, it's an actual continuation of The Haunted. So instead of going, okay, I'm going to make a second film, I wanted to make a series based on this particular character, Catherine Blackwood. Uh, And basically, it's a, a series where... In each episode, she's going after a different demon, uh, so she becomes a demon hunter essentially. Um, that's the basic synopsis of it, you know. Uh, hmm. But it, it's, it should be pretty cool because the demons hide in different ways. Like um, I know in episode one, the demon's hiding in a magician, uh, and it takes place in different time periods. So one 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 episode you might be in modern times, another episode you might be back in the seventeen hundreds. 
uh, so on and so forth. So it, it takes place all over as far as time frames go. That sounds cool. Is there anything else that you have that's uh, not listed? Uh, I'm working on one called The Diary of Mary Shelley, which is a retelling of Frankenstein through her eyes as a character that was actually around when Frankenstein was creating his monster. So instead of her just, just writing a story of fiction, it's basically her writing a memoir of what took place. Huh. And that sounds cool as she, shit. And she actually was uh, had, had a love for the creature. So she was in love with this creature. Um so it's yeah, it's 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 a love story slash horror film. I like it. Sounds cool as shit. And then I've got another one called They, and They is a um, sci-fi horror, and it's based based on um, ancient alien theories and things of that nature, where aliens have already been here and they start taking over our everyday life, our planet, using technology and different things like that that we use every day, and how that cripples humanity and makes us a weaker species for them to take over. Mm. You got my interest. So those are the ones I'm working on currently. And then I'm working on another television series off of a hit movie that we're still waiting for Warner Brothers to get back to us on. If it goes through, it'll go through this year, which will be, uh, I believe, the 30th anniversary of this particular movie. But it's a series that will take place prior to the events of the film. So it goes back to the origins in the beginning. And if, I'll tell you more about it once we get off air. <laughs> yeah, 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 sure. All right. So, well, well, just want to say uh, it's great having you on here. It's nice to be able to talk to somebody that has the same uh, uh, respect. I mean, you are a filmmaker. I mean, I'm in, I have a couple projects that I'm trying to get worked on myself, but me being in the business as well and me reviewing films for independent filmmakers that, you know, short films don't go very far. I mean, they're made for festivals and about as far as they go. And for Hillbilly Horror Show and for um, Tales of Terror, you know, for us trying to put these young filmmakers on the map I just want to say uh, great idea and, uh, and keep up the great work thank you and uh, I know Tales of Horror we're going to continue on with it and we're having a lot of fun with that and yeah and Hillbilly Horror I think that's going to going to keep doing well and you know like I said I, I'm waiting for that interview uh, <laughs> <laughs> to see if it's in there and you know get some get some mumbling going on it'll be great mm-hmm. but you know the funny thing is you think about short films and you say they don't, they're, they're not going to be able to go anywhere um, for the most part, they don't. But if you look at like Mama and Sling Blade, you know, if you make a great short, you can definitely, you know, garner the attention that's needed to make sure. out of it. I think yeah. that's what we're well, trying to do with these filmmakers. That's what I meant. Yeah, no, I, no, mean, I know exactly what you mean. Short films are a stepping stone yeah, for a film. But a lot feature. of people don't ever think past that. They think film, right. short film, short film. And it's like, think about your next step. That's the advice I'd give to filmmakers. Think about your next step after your short. If you want to make it a feature, write the feature. And, and see what happens with the short. And th- that way you have more ammunition to go in with when you go to a studio to try to get this thing done. So anyway, um, I know we got to get, get running because I'm sure I'm over on time. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, nah, no biggie. All righty. Well, it's great having you on here. Thank you very much, Scott. Uh, I really appreciate it. And uh, I hope no. you enjoy the films and the series. No problem. I'll definitely check it out. So thanks for being a guest. You're, ep- you're my second interview of 2016 and my second interview in a 14 months absence. Wait, so wait a minute, I'm your second interview? So I wasn't good enough to be first, I'm not sure enough to be third, <laughs> so I'm your second? Come on, man. No. Well, I interviewed uh, the uh, legendary uh, zombie from Dawn of the Dead in 78, Mike Christopher. Oh, nice. So that was a quite interesting interview, talking about the days of uh, Dawn of the Dead. Well, I'll go second so. then, that's fine. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for having me. But it's great having you on here, and you take care of yourself. You too, my friend. We'll see you.